would you like to start? Hello and welcome to a new season, season five of Private Practice Podcast. We've got a new format again um, and it's something a little bit different. Um, We had some important production meetings and we've got to introduce something exciting and new to you. Um, Whereabouts in that was I'm Daniel P. Brown and handing over to me to say I'm James Hall. Of course, if we don't do things the same every episode, James gets quite upset. So... (laughs) Let's just, let's just, let's not say backtrack, but let's give you what you really need at the beginning of the podcast. Hello, I'm Daniel P. Brown. And I'm James Hall, and this is Private Practice Podcast. Private Practice Podcast. This is Private Practice Podcast, and today it's a bit of a a taster session, a teaser session, or perhaps an introduction session to our next season, season five. It's actually been quite a a long journey, isn't it, getting here, James? Uh, From Brighton, it was actually quite a nice journey. I walked along the beach, it was very sunny, people will probably be listening to this well, actually, they could be listening to this any time in the future, but this, these will be going out sometime around the autumn. And uh, so it probably won't be quite like today when I was walking along the beach in the sunshine. And mm. I actually intended to set off, walk along the beach and go straight up to the station. But because it was so nice, I stopped on the beach for quite some time and read and the, the next chapter in the book that we're going to be looking at for this season. But let's just park that for a minute because one thing that I particularly enjoyed being on the beach was how I was surrounded by groups of people. I was also able to stare into the horizon and look at the sea disappearing off the end of it, which is one thing that I've always loved doing. And I was able to enjoy both of those things. And I think previously in my life, I would have been troubled by looking around me at groups of people having fun and me being on my own and thinking what have I done wrong in life that leads me to just be here observing life instead of participating completely forgetting that mere days before I had been an invitee at a party with lots of people where I was participating that would have been completely filtered out and I would have just sat there concentrating on all the people around me in groups having fun thinking why can't I get people down on the beach to have fun with me why do I have to just observe it like David Attenborough watching the world um why am I not participating in life on planet earth why am I the outside observer so you you did answer my question there um, about the journey to get here. No, that's not. That's only. That's barely even a, a quarter of the journey. Wait, we don't need to know all of it because that's not what we're talking about. Okay, we're talking about season five of Private Practice Podcast. But I think that is an, a very good introduction because what you're talking about is a change in your thinking as well as your behaviour. So you thought that when you said that's. That, that, that there's been a long journey to get here and I started talking about my literal journey walking then taking the train then walking again you thought that, that was just me being facetious and going off on a tangent but actually it perfectly illustrates the metaphorical journey that you were actually getting at well it does depend <laughs> if you were going to continue to tell us about your physical geographical being movement a, being coach seven of the 1759 Thames Link service from Brighton to Bedford calling at Hassocks, yeah, 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 exactly, exactly, which hopefully we're not going to have to go into that much detail on. Um, but what you were talking about was the different mental states you found yourself in on Brighton Beach, and you were comparing how you are now after your year abroad, um, thinking about yourself and change. And if anyone's listened to the summer special, we go into a lot of detail about that, so I won't talk too much about James's year of change. Um, but what you were talking about, in effect, was the kind of things we're going to be looking at in this season of the podcast. So merely four minutes in, shall we say what it is, as opposed to waiting for 20 minutes to introduce the topic? Yes, go on then. We're going to be looking at one book for a whole season. A single book for one whole season? As opposed to me coming to each episode with a different book that I've read for that episode. Mm Mm-hmm. So last season we looked at various different big ideas such as phobia, paranoia, perversion and 
particularly with perversion, you, Daniel P. Brown, of the mm-hmm. Private Practice Podcast, concluded that we had opened the can of worms and not really um, got to the bottom. Yeah, I was quite unsatisfied with uh, our inability to find any conclusions in that, only open up kind of uncomfortable and disturbing um, ideas that we weren't able to resolve and weren't able to give the listener any kind of advice on. Basically, you could reductively summarise that episode by saying, you can be gay, you can be a paedophile, it's all perversion, see you next time on Private Practice. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's what it felt like. I know that wasn't what we were saying. Um, And I think we were bringing up that conversation, that those things seem so uh, inextricably linked or on a continuum of perversion that we weren't able to get anywhere satisfying or comfortable for me. Uh, th- this season, though, we're looking at the book Flow by Michali Csikszentmihalyi. I don't know if I've mispronounced that, please do correct me. Um, and the book's Flow. And Flow is a concept as well as a set of activities in terms of the book. Um, and the book introduces different ways of thinking about changing experience, changing perceptions, changing habits, changing patterns of behaviour, and, and in terms of perception, I mean your thoughts, your interpretation of those thoughts and how we um, manage and process sensory inputs and also about what we're doing, what we want to do, what we want to achieve or what, how we want to enjoy our time and, in essence, about enjoying life more. Flow as a concept we're going to look at, that's, that's the book. and We were kind of hoping you might want to read along with us as we go. I was just going to say, well, I'm looking at a revised and updated edition published in 2002. It was originally written, I think, in 1992. And this is relevant because two things. One is, if you want, you can get the book yourself and read along with us. So you can read a chapter and then hear us talking about it if you wish to. You don't have to do that. It's not compulsory to have read the book to listen to the series. Uh, But also... Um, one of the things that are key to this book is that it's entirely contextual with every generation to reconsider the ideas of this book in relation to not only their own individual life, but the society they live in. So this book was written back in the late 80s, early 90s. And so it talks about things in the modern day that were from then. And so it has no relation, nothing is mentioned in the book of social media. Nothing is mentioned in the book of uh, travelling around your life with a phone in your pocket, etc. So, however, if I remember from my first reading of the book, there is the idea of things that might uh, fill your time or waste your time or how you immerse yourself in a moment. So if we were to consider that the ideas are still relevant, but it's about some of the, the, the timing of when it was written. Oh, I was going to make a much grander, loftier statement than that. I was going to say, so we are bringing it up to date for our generation, creating a landmark series that will be of relevance to a whole generation, a, a generation-era-defining defi- moment is what we're creating here. Taking, what, what's it say on the front? The classic work on how to achieve happiness and making it relevant for an entire era. That is the responsibility heavy on our shoulders. Um, I mean, wouldn't that be wonderful if we were able to achieve that? I think one one of the things I'd like to do is get the concept of flow and the concept that we can be um, at least as pilot or co-pilot of our own experience. We can be more in control of that because I think in previous seasons, especially in season four, our, our most recent seasons, we've looked at some really difficult ideas and some really uncomfortable experiences sensations we've looked at mental illnesses we've looked at uh, conditions of the mind that cause distress but we didn't often uh, other than you know referring to therapy or referring to going to the nhs and asking for a bit of support look at ways in which people can change their own experience for the better and i think one of the you know one of the most exciting books of the last sort of uh, 30 years is is flow 
Um, and I think it's a concept and it's also a word that's used relatively regularly in popular culture. Um, you know, and I think sports people, artists, um, musicians would definitely understand the concept of flow, even if that's even if they haven't read the book. It's about being in the moment. It's about experiencing uh, life in a different way, in in a, in a slightly elevated way, uh, removed from more of the stresses and strains that we all experience. Um, and the book looks at all the different ways you can start to tap into flow, the concept itself of flow and what it might be. Uh, it's not too heavy on the science side, but a lot of it is based on research. Micheli, Chikzen Micheli, is actually um, a huge psychological research, you know, vast bodies of work, and he's worked with people all around the world, and he's he's an eminent psychologist, I think, um, or social scientist. And you can see him speaking on loads of different videos on YouTube, which might also be another useful accompaniment to, to the uh, podcast. It's a book about ordering thoughts. There's how the tables have turned. There's seven words that neatly sum up all the things that you've just said, whereas uh, previously I would have given lots and lots and lots and lots of words and you'd have said, and here are seven words in summary of what you just said. And I'd have said, yes, I wish I'd been that pithy. Yeah, I mean, you followed it up with a lot of words, but uh, you did say, here's a book about changing Here's, it's a book about ordering thoughts. It's a book about ordering thoughts. Um, which will help in processing the ideas that we introduced in the last season because we just threw them at you. We did throw them at you. Um, it's a book about ordering thoughts. And here's a thought about ordering the book. So last night I was able to pop onto eBay and get the book for under a tenner. Um, <laughs> do you like that, James? Yes. Good, OK. Uh, yeah, you can easily find it on eBay. Look at, Show me the front cover, James. It's got a sort of a rainbow uh, across the word, um, a rainbow wave across the word flow, which is written in grey. It's not a huge book. The text is relatively small, but I actually found it quite an enjoyable read. You might find that after the first few chapters, you really understand the concept and then you want to dip in and out of it. And I seem to remember in the introduction, he says to use the book like that. You don't have to read it cover to cover. We will be reading it cover to cover. Um, we're going to have a copy of our own and we're going to go through it and we're going to look at the most important core concepts and how they relate to you and uh, we're going to be bringing flow up to date for the new generation <laughs> um, which i think is kind of interesting seeing as um a lot of the time we have been using our old friend a dictionary of psychology the james drever penguin reference book which on the cover says it was i think 5d or maybe even five shillings a 1970s book and when i looked in it for the concept of flow it's not even in there. The closest word we have to flow in this book was flowery, which um, has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about in this next season. Here's a taster of what's coming up. Happiness Revisited. Uh -huh. That's what we're looking at today, basically, the introduction to what is the concept of flow. Also, on the front cover, I, I said this earlier, it says... The classic work on how to achieve happiness. What we're not doing is giving you 10 steps to achieving happiness, one simple thing you can do each week, and at the end of it, you will be happy for the rest of your life. Just uh, to clarify. Just to clarify. Because if you think that's what you're going to get from this, you will be sorely disappointed, and you will be very unwilling to join us for season six of Private Practice Podcast, because we will have just let you down. We will have let you down if you think that solely listening to this podcast... Uh, would achieve that however it it does seem like the book itself is selling itself as a guide to achieving happiness so perhaps you should order that book and see whether you know let us know your thoughts and feelings on the book um at the email address that james is yet to set up um something something at private practice dot something probably just giving myself enough of a pause to edit that out so coming up here are the chapter titles of the book so that you can have a, an idea of what to expect. Uh, the Anatomy of Consciousness. Oh, that sounds interesting. Enjoyment and the Quality of Life. I think that's something that's important to all of us. The Conditions of Flow. Yep, yep, OK. The Body in Flow. Oh. I think maybe that'll be the week when we can revisit some ideas in perversion. Yeah, but also perhaps we could, um, I don't know, do that one standing up. <laughs> or in a float flotation tank, yeah. yes. The flow of thought. Great. Workers flow. Work as flow, sorry, not the flow of workers. Mm, for some reason this sort of communist manifesto popped into my head there. Enjoying solitude and other people. 
Cheating Chaos. Great. And finally, The Making of Meaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but actually, that uh, Enjoying Solitude and Other People takes me back to the beach. Picture the scene. Mm-hmm. I'm on the beach reading Flow. Everyone around me is, uh, is probably indifferent, but if they did glance, they'd see the classic work on how to achieve happiness. They're, they're scoffing because they, they're already happy they're on the beach. They've got their ice cream, they're with their friends, they're having a good time. I'm just sat on my own reading a book about how to achieve happiness. They, they obviously think, well, he's got it wrong and I've got it right. It's that freak from the train that was reading that book on perversion. <laughs> But I'm on the beach and I am enjoying my own company, but I'm also able to enjoy being surrounded by other people. And it is true that I was not able to... And this isn't a conclusion, I don't think. I don't think that me going to France and being on my own for a year means that I'm now able to enjoy other people's company because I think there was evidence to suggest that I'm not there yet from your recent birthday where you gave me a camera and told me to go around taking pictures which I didn't identify in the moment was actually a device to be able to uh, allow me to talk to people that I didn't know because I was there were a few people at the party that I'd met before briefly I'd made small talk with them maybe two years ago Uh, there were a couple of people that I had spent time with with you in Normandy and I was able to just pick up and have a nice conversation but they then left Mm-hmm. So I was left in a garden looking at groups of established people having a good time. Me, once again, David Attenborough, observing the wildlife from the other side of the glass. Mm-hmm. And so in order to get me to connect with people, you gave me a camera so that I could go around and I could basically go up to people and say, oh, hi, Dan's given me the camera to take pictures. Um, oh, it looks like uh, you're uh, doing well here looking like you're having a nice time, despite having three children. It must be stressful having children, but it doesn't look like... And therefore, I get into conversation, and then, you know, some photos might happen along the way. You know. Yeah. Instead of that, what I did was barge into groups of people and say, uh, awkward photo alert, or Dan's, got, Dan's given me a camera, and I'm going to take invasive photos, and made people feel uncomfortable and mm. anxious as I put the camera in unflattering positions, regressing back to childhood patterns of behaviour when I used to do that with my aunt. Yeah, if you can imagine um, Lurch from the, I think it's the Adams family, um, suddenly beside you with a, uh, uh, a Canon camera and taking a photo from the wrong height at the wrong moment. But not only that, James, in his infinite wisdom, would say, after three, but then take the photo immediately. So no one in any of these photos is prepared. And once you've taken the photo, you just walked away. Yes. No conversation. None. No communication. Not one conversation came out of me going up to maybe six groups of people with a camera. Okay. So, I mean, there might be an argument, and we'll come back to it later in the season, that you were in your own state of flow. I did not feel like I was in my own state of flow. I felt like I was looking around thinking, here are adults in the wild getting on with it and I am just watching them and I don't really understand it and I don't know how to participate. So perhaps this book will help us or help you or help us to help you and me in challenging some of our own issues. I mean, I know this morning, James, you picked me up on some of my own um, uncomfortable behaviours, which I'm almost too ashamed to talk about on uh, on the podcast, but we were looking at unhealthy behaviours and unhealthy habit patterns, things that we probably know that we'd like to change. So an example might be, you know, if you're a smoker or if you drink too regularly or if you don't see your friends as much as you, you would like to um, or you have beautiful beautiful equipment to start that art project at home or that creative project or that craft um, or you want to get into the gym or these kind of things that that, that are normal day-to-day successes that you can have that will bring you joy the concept of flow might help you in keying yourself into those while this is our introduction to the book Mm -hmm. and what is flow and what is to come 
I feel like you're not in the moment when you start every sentence with, we'll be looking at, we'll be doing this in the future, I'm looking forward, this is not now, I'm not here, I'm not now, I'm thinking about something else that's not this. To what extent do you agree? I disagree. Why? Because I'm not thinking about anything else, James. I'm thinking about our recording. If anything, I might be um, pausing internally to consider whether what I'm saying is going to be the reality of our season. We don't know what the reality of anything is going to be beyond right now. We have a book that has been written and it has all those chapters that exist and we're going to read them and we, or, and we intend to look at them, but we don't know what's going to happen in our lives tomorrow, let alone anything else. So I'm suggesting that our intention is to present the ideas of this book in the coming season. But to, but to present all your thoughts right now as we're going to do this, we're going to be looking at this, we're going to this, that and the other, suggests that it's, as far as I'm concerned, it's happening now. We are already into the subject of flow. We're already into the book. We're already into the... This is the first chapter. The first chapter is called Happiness Revisited. We're right into that now. This is episode one, chapter one of flow, and we're already into it. The introduction is so far behind me, I can barely see it somewhere vaguely near Brighton Beach yesterday. Wow. Okay. Um, I didn't realise I was already there. Okay. Here I am. Welcome to flow. Take your shoes off. Take your socks off. Feel the pebbles on your feet take your shirt off then realize everyone's looking at you and put it back on again put it back probably on. for the best and then think oh maybe i shouldn't be at the beach and walk away um, <laughs> but don't forget your copy of flow find somewhere quiet where no one can see you take your shirt off and read flow um so not quite sure feel attacked by your last comment prior to that one so i'm it's going to feel a little bit sad for a moment whilst... Um, Tell me more about that. Well, I don't know. I don't I, need I, to plough on. I thought I was in the moment, James. I thought I was describing w- what we intend to do. But I, there was nothing wrong with that, and I don't, I'm not criticising at all. I was questioning, that's what I intend to do. Stop and... I am in the moment. For once, I'm not just ploughing on, reading my notes and ignoring what you're saying. I was just listening to everything you were saying and I noted something about what you were saying and I presented it in the moment. Do you know what? And I think this is a very good point you've made, actually. Now that I consider what you're saying, um, it's not about the language I was using. It's your, it's your observation of me right now. Or both. What? You don't like it? No, 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 no. Um, it, that... Um, that I am not in flow is what you are. You were challenging that I am not in a state of flow, and you're saying why not? Because you, James Hall, are in flow. I don't know if I'm in flow. We've only just started looking at this. I haven't read the whole book yet. I'm. I'm only just getting to use a to use a, 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 a saying. I'm only just getting my head around flow. So I'm not going to say I have established flow and I am watching you and in disgust at your pathetic attempts and your failing to be in flow because I'm not even beyond chapter two as we are currently speaking. What I am doing though is what you've always asked me to do that I've not that I found myself not doing before. I am listening to what you're saying and I'm reacting to it as opposed to what I would have previously done, previous old James, would have just let you say the things. When you stopped making noises, I would have just ploughed on, picked up my piece of paper, here we go, paper noise. Uh, the book is about achieving control over the contents of our consciousness. What do you think of that? And then I just switched off while you did some talking whilst I read the next bit of my notes and think, oh, yeah, that's what I'm going to talk about next. And then when you finish talking, oh, OK, silence, back to me. Happiness is not something that happens to you. It's not good luck or random chance. It has no dependence on outside events, but rather on how we interpret them. What do you think of that? Da- and I would have just ploughed on with what's written on my piece of paper, but instead I just listened to you. So what were you suggesting then? It seemed to me that you were suggesting that I wasn't present in the conversation conversation only because i just kept noting you saying we're going to be talking about we're going to be doing this we're going to be doing that and i just wondered if that if starting every sentence with those words takes you out of what we're doing now which is talking to each other so it is about language possibly well i mean it's again it is a very good point maybe that was my wittgenstein flaw 
Maybe. But this isn't an episode about James's Wittgensteinian flaw. <laughs> my Wittgensteinian flaw goes really nicely with my wallpaper. <laughs> it's not about a flaw, it's about flow, isn't it? So I'm going to have to listen to this back and work out what it is that you meant and have a real think about that. But anyway, I do want to just repeat what I said flippantly on my piece of paper, but this time take it more slowly because I'm uh, quite pleased with the way I summarised this. Okay. I think I did really well. Good. So uh, the book is about achieving control over the contents of our consciousness. So that's our thoughts, our our interpretation of those thoughts and what we choose to focus on and think about. I can just give the example of me on the beach. There is lots of... Why don't, why don't you use other examples, you know, rather than just the beach example? What else have you got in your life? Okay. Um, achieving control over the contents of our consciousness. I mean, I can use one of the examples in the book. There's a person who is working on a factory production line and he has a flat tyre on his car. And he usually finds his job very rewarding, even though it's just receiving a lump of stuff and tweaking it and moving it on to the next process in the production line. He finds it very satisfying to constantly improve his best, so to speak, to do it the most efficient, to do it the most efficient, speedy way, beating his previous records. And he doesn't need employer validation. There is some kind of reward for performance-based incentive. And sometimes he beats the incentive and doesn't even tell his boss and doesn't even take the financial reward because it's enough for him to know that he has beaten his best. Sounds foolish to me, but okay. Sounds foolish to me as well. But he does that until one day he has a flat tyre on his car and he can't stop thinking about the fact that it's going to make him late tomorrow if he's going to have to stop off at the garage and all this sort of thing. And his personal best he's not even close to it and the other people on the production line are mocking him saying oh what's wrong with you today you're normally the you know the best uh you're really slow today what's going on you're delaying everything but in a mocking sort of like <clears throat> not a, an attack but just a kind of what's up with you today and Friend, friendly, friendly banter, banter with the boys yeah <coughs> excuse me james sorry about that carry on your hatred for me has just been coughed out not yet. <laughs> there's, a, there's a few more hate coughs coming. But he, um, he is unable to have that usual flow that he has, which is to be totally concentrating on the job at hand and not distracted by the problems of the world or not distracted by what his boss thinks of him or anything like that. He is just in the moment being able to concentrate to the point where he's constantly improving on his best. Well, in that case, I can understand what you were saying. I mean, not 100% sure about the way you said it before, but maybe I'm not in flow right now. There's a definitely a few things on my mind. You know, there's a few concerns I've got. There's a certain feeling in my gut. And although I love making our podcast, perhaps they are distracting me from some of the things you're saying. And although I don't have a very fully formed idea in my mind of what it is that's distracting me, I have some ideas of ideas of what's distracting me or what's what's taking up some psychological space and what's also taking up some emotional space, you, pro- you are probably right. I'm not 100% here like I usually am when we're recording our podcast. I'm an alcoholic, but I need to just put that in a box and put it to one side and do this recording. But now James is criticising this, like I can't do anything right. Potentially, yeah. That would be one example of what could possibly be distracting me yes yeah 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 or no not i'm an alcoholic but someone said i'm an alcoholic and i know there's some truth in it and i don't know what to do about that and usually i'd be enjoying this activity but right now i have a feeling in my gut and there's something going on in my head it's like a kind of a fogginess there's not the clarity i usually have when i sit down and we press record on this and and we we talk and it's stopping me from being in flow when I'm able to um, quickfire answer your questions and, and understand what you're saying as you're reading through your list of things that you've already written. Well, let's just see how distracted you are from answering this. What do you make of the other thing that I said? Happiness is not something that happens to you. It's not good luck or random chance. 
It has no dependence on outside events, and I've put no in brackets because of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, whereby in order to just be basically satisfied in life, you need to have an element of food and water and shelter and safety and security and so on. But apart from that, it has no dependence on outside events, but rather on how we interpret them. Well, as a mental health nurse, I would say that you were, you know, um, getting right to the heart of what getting better is all about when you're unwell, realising that on the whole, for the majority of the time, happiness is a choice. It's about understanding how to choose happiness that is the difficult part. It's about even understanding that concept that's the difficult part. I think um, Buddhist thinking is very useful in understanding this concept in some of the ideas that all life, one of their ideas is that all life is suffering. And if we can understand that we carry with the suffering rather than focus on the suffering, but actually focus on uh, goodness, peace, calm, non-violence, doing good for others, then actually we're able to find inside us that is always there that internal happiness. This isn't so easy for someone who, using Maslow's hierarchy of needs, doesn't have the mental safety and security that you need in order to achieve that. So I just give some what I think might be normal examples? You can tell me if I have no grasp on normality and don't speak for the people. Um, my job is a bit stressful and tiring, but in a couple of years' time, I aim to be um, doing a... I aim to have been promoted... I'll earn some more money and then I'll be happy. And for now, at the weekend, I'm going to go and have bottomless brunch on Saturday and have a good time with my friends and then I'll be happy. So I'm not happy now, but that's going to happen at the weekend a bit and then in a couple of years' time, when I'm on track to my five-year plan, then I'm going to be happy. So happiness will come briefly at the weekend and then fully in five years' time when I earn X amount of money and have this amount of responsibility and free time and so on. Um, I think that's... a prime example anymore i'm not sorry i think that's a prime example of where something that is in our control is actually getting in the way of us being happy now and that's about the perception of what happiness is how it comes where it comes who you need to be to experience happiness what you need to have to experience happiness or contentment and imagining that if you had something else that you don't have now you're going to be happy. And I think that the prime example, probably the best example you could have given, and using that work idea and having more money and being someone better or a different person. Because I'll be able to afford a nicer place and then I'll have some space to myself. And at the moment, my main problem is that I'm just constantly in the, down the throat of my flatmates. And when I'm earning just that little bit extra, I'll be able to have the space to myself. Maybe I'll have to have one flatmate, but it won't be sharing a house with five people and that will just give me the happiness. So in five years, or two years, or whatever it is, I will have happiness. Yep, absolutely. Um, so um, relating that back to flow, which is what we're doing right now, <laughs> that's what we're doing. We're already on chapter one, introduction to flow. It's not something we're going to do in the future. We are there right now. It's about looking at obstacles to happiness, and it's about thinking of the different ways that the author or authors, because lots of research went into it, um, the techniques that they would use in order to be happy now. But just to make it blatantly obvious, I just gave that example. Happiness is not guaranteed to come in two years when you have the salary increase. Yep, absolutely. You take whatever problems and whatever, ever, whichever psychological techniques you use, you take them wherever you go. And if those psychological techniques are allowing you to be happy in any moment, in any circumstance, um, then wherever you go, you'll be happy. And just to remind the listener, I've tried this out. I've moved into the studio flat in Belsize Park where I've done the painting and I've had the, what did you call it, East London dinner parties. I don't think any of them took place in East London, but let's just pretend. Um, Let's pretend. And... The media, gay, the gay media dinner parties. Gay mafia. The gay creatives dinner parties yeah i've had all of that and then and i had um the job that paid enough for me to have that flat and then um you had it all i had it all and then i felt like giving it all up and going to france and then i took all my problems with me and still had them 
in uh, Montpellier towards the end of the year, there were still times when I was walking around thinking, um, I'm unable to connect with people back home. Maybe all the friendships I have are meaningless and maybe uh, nothing is all that important. And is it that my generation and has social media ruined everything? And uh, are all my friends just drunk all the time and I'm irrelevant to them when I'm not joining them at the parties and having too much alcohol and I'm just somewhere in the south of France and I'm probably in irritation because I'm living the Instagram-friendly, sun-kissed life that they want and they can't have it because they can't just leave everything and go to the south of France. So I'm just that irritating person who is broken the rules and followed his instinct and that's what everyone wants to do but I've actually done it which you're not supposed to do and therefore I'm jeopardizing all my friendships and I'm not spending quality time with anyone and all of this and all and so on and so on all of that was going round and round in my head occasion not all the time it wasn't a perpetual state of heightened paranoia and anxiety and frenzy and mental unease but there were times when I thought about these things mm-hmm and that is why I spent a month sitting on my own in a room in Montpellier. Blissful solitude. But I do think that that's why this book is relevant for continuing on where we left off in the last series, even if that's slightly selfish towards my life. Well, I think we're both hoping... Excuse me, we're both hoping that this will apply to the listener too. <laughs> and I will try and keep you in check with too many self-indulgent examples of how it applies directly to you, James. Um, the universe, uh huh, indifferent to your individual state of mind, provides a number of roots of discontent which you will never control. So what that's basically what I was just giving that the economy the for economy, example brexit the weather the weather um your health to some extent your friend moving to the south of france who do i have to thank for that <laughs> <laughs> sorry yeah things out of our control sorry james the universe what does that say the universe indifferently Provides a number of roots of discontent which you will never control. Yeah, absolutely. What's your point? Well, that's... Basically, I gave the example of the person who thinks that in two years' time they'll be happy when they get a promotion or they move into another place that they've got on their mind and they achieve all that. That's completely ignoring everything that the universe presents as... So, like, you're trying to do that, but... You don't like politics. You don't like the weather. You don't like everything that's going on in the world that's constantly making you feel like, what's the point? Yeah. I'm trying to achieve happiness with my promotion in two years' time, but now I can't afford it because Brexit means this or because I wanted to uh, do this, but the government and the property market are not allowing me to and it's not fair and... How I can't achieve happiness because my plan will never come to fruition. So what's the point? I may as well just open another bottle of whatever. Yeah, tell me about it, James. Tell me about it. Um, Yeah, so we're talking about things you can control. Um, And uh, the book looks at the state of mind described as flow, whereby all those those things do have effect on you, they aren't uh, destructive to your happiness and your mental state. Um, and I think flow very much is looking about specific activities where you can find flow, different ways of getting into a state of flow. Um, so, I mean, w- one, of the, one of the ideas would be that flow is kind of like a state of you being at your best, being able to um, experience things in a state that is comfortable, that is enjoyable, that is almost stepping out of time, not that you're time traveling, but that you're just you, 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 without the the worries and the concerns of the world that are, are out of your control, but being able to manage and enjoy things that are in your control, a kind of a state of um, positive activity or positive inaction. Positive inaction. Positive inaction, not positive in 
action. Yeah, but what's positive inaction? Well, let's think about what meditation is. Oh, okay. So if we took a moment now, which is obviously relatively boring for the listener, but... The listener can maybe jazz up this episode by playing a drinking game. Every time we say flow, they neck a shot. <laughs> Absolutely. But if we took a moment now to... Um, can, can we just say, don't do that? Especially, don't do that. Okay, carry on. Um, if we took a moment to just not do anything, to allow our brain to reset, to allow our thoughts to dissipate, to allow the feelings in our body to settle, to allow um, some of the, the positive, some of the beautiful that's around us to to enter us. <laughs> that would be, in my opinion, positive inaction. Whereas if I was to grab a big piece of paper, get out my Sharpies and, and think about designing a poster, which I'd ask you to put on the private practice podcast website, that would be positive action. And if I was able to get into a state of kind of blissful, I mean, flow is such a good word for it, blissful enjoyment of the activity of making the poster, of having, you know, creating something, that's action. Whereas if I was able to sit and take in all the good that is around me, you know, I love collecting little colourful, what are they called, tchotchkes? Is that the word? Trinkets, whatever, um, toys, like ornaments. You know. If I was, you know, I've got these all around me, I could sit here just looking at them and enjoying them. But that's inaction, isn't it? I'm not doing anything. I'm not creating anything. I'm allowing the good that is around to come into me. And I think that's what flow is about, both action and inaction. Have you got it? Yes. Great. Um, and there is a... It's not exactly a quote of Freud, but it says, the quote from the book says, as Freud and many others before and after him have noted, civilization is built on the repression of individual desires. It would be impossible to maintain any kind of social order, any complex division of labor, unless society's members were forced to take on its habits and skills that the culture required. Yeah. Yeah. So I think one of the things that the introduction that we're, looking at today is 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 talking about is is removing yourself from the almost necessary repression of society in order to experience a positive individual life a positive individual experience despite the limiting um nature of society the laws the the um the 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 culture the the expectations, the the necessities as well. Removing, finding a state where you're also able to remove yourself from that, despite it still existing and you not being able to control it. You can't control politics. You can't control the law. We can't control Brexit, even if we vote for or against it. We can't control what's going to happen. But we can find a state within wherever we are, whether we're a prisoner or whether we are a teacher or whether we are the drummer in a band or whether we are an artist or a bricklayer or even unemployed we can find a state of flow that enables us to be living in the moment enjoying the experience and getting the best from ourselves what the um, astute listener will be noticing is a stunned silence <laughs> and i i can't tell quite why I'm thinking to the, I'm thinking of the person who imagines that in two years' time they'll be happy mm -hmm. with the promotion. Every step along that way, someone else might in the office might get the promotion that they wanted. Yeah. Plan over or plan delayed or plan needs to be changed. Yeah. Um, the person that they were hoping to live with, maybe they were in a relationship, that ends. Again, uh -huh. that's the world presenting them with a problem. So there's all these problems that are presented with them. And in that moment, you feel all kind. you have all kinds of feelings. And you interpret that information that comes in. So I'm constantly trying to build a better life. And it's 
impossible because everything goes wrong and it's out of my control and what's the point and so I may as well just give up and I may as well just be miserable and I may as well have vices that help me through it drinking gambling drugs whatever and that is following your genetic programming to an extent your the the natural anxiety the natural need to satisfy your desires. I'd say that's social programming, no? Well, because the genetic programming will be things like, I'm hungry, therefore I'm going to eat. Or rather, I could, uh, yes, I want sugar, therefore I will have another Mars bar. And then you just have six Mars bars. Oh, I see, yes, okay. So I'm, I want to have the promotion in two years, and I think that will make me happy. I'm constantly presented with obstacles to that, and so far I've overcome every obstacle but it's not guaranteed that I'm going to get the thing. So in the back of my mind, there's a, what if I don't get the thing? Or what if it doesn't make me happy? And when I have that anxiety, that is some genetic programming of fear that what, of, of the only thing that I'm holding as being my saviour in life might not provide me with... What I'm, I'm still doing. saying it's social programming, but whatever, carry on. So I think, um, okay, I've got to give myself some little pleasures now to get through it, I'm going to have some chocolate. And, oh, I could have some more chocolate because I've got it and I like it. And, oh, there's only two left. I may as well finish those. And, um, oh, I've got, I'm going to open a bottle of wine. And, oh, I may as well finish it. Oh, I've got another bottle. I may as well open that. And all of that, you are letting your genetic programming. Okay. Surely. Why not genetic programming? Because you are you are following your instincts to do things. Yeah, but you've got an instinct to survive, of course. You've got an instinct to find food and water and shelter and comfort. But you're relating someone indulging in a kind of an emotional eating or an emotional drinking due to the fact that they're not sure about their promotion and they're not sure about whether they're going to be happy in two years. Yeah. You're not relating it to someone desperately in need of food, finding food, which is genetic programming. Social programming is I'm going to be happy with this because if I achieve this status and this lifestyle, I'm this person. No, and the programming comes from your parents, from the media, from society. But your genetic programming to survive and to reproduce gives you hunger and a sex drive. And you could just go around raping everyone and eating everything in front of you to satisfy your genetic programming. But most of us tend to keep that under control. But when you're anxious and what you thought was your point in life is under threat, you might just revert back to carnal instinct. So you might just have a weekend, of, or an orgy weekend. You might just... Okay, I literally have no idea where you're going with this. I want From to a have... super positive introductory episode, we've ended up with, you may as well, or you might <laughs> just go and rape and eat chocolate <laughs> and put on an orgy weekend. <laughs> but I'm... Yes, so... I'm saying that you might know that you have a plan of what's going to make you happy. We're saying it's a false plan. The, the promotion is not going to make you happy. To, 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 simpl- to absolutely simplify this, you, to be really simplistic about this, you think that what is going to make me happy? What is happiness? Oh, it's 70k a year and having a place of my own and being able to go on holiday. So I'm going to work for that. And in five years, I'm going to get that. And then there are loads of threats to it. Brexit happens, politics happen, people in your life let you down, you lose money, you're not on track, someone else in the office gets the promotion you want, everything. (gasps) Do you know what this is? This is like the game of life. Yeah. Have you played the game of life? No. Well, we're going to play the game of life at some point. Anyway... All of this happens Calm the fudge down whilst you tell me for the fourth time (laughs) about Graham from Accountant. Yeah, but it's the fourth time I'm going to nail it this time. Yeah, you really are, you really are. So all of that happens to you, and part of you knows that you're not necessarily going to be happy, and you're not necessarily even going to get the promotion and the dream flat and the dream life, Uh, and you're constantly told by the media that your parents had it better than you, and you're never going to own property, and your life is already ruined, so... What's the point? And we have a generation who just drink a, a, a whole lot of alcohol and have lots of vices and are addicted to their phones 
to sex, to drink and drugs, to food, to all these sorts of things. We have a generation that is generally quite heavily addicted to things. Or habituated to the normalcy of that. Okay. Or is it normality? But that um, addiction to all these things is, I'm saying, submission to genetic programming. I want to... It's the... It's the Sorry, it's so, you, the so this is all about... Everything you're saying is an argument with me about whether it's genetic or social programming rather than anything to do with the quote that you read about flow. Are you you joking? (laughs) But this is what Floyd is saying. The id is... it's, It's regression to just letting the id control your life. And if you let either the id or the superego control your life... So either you completely repress yourself with the superego booming inside your head or you just let yourself go and do anything you want based on the voice of the id. Then you are not... Then you are submitting to genetic programming, leaving you helpless, and you are not able to override those instructions when necessary, making yourself vulnerable and unhappy. Well, you you won, because I... (laughs) We're talking about control over consciousness. And if you let your id make you addicted to things such as food, sex, alcohol, drugs, you are not controlling... Stop using the word addiction. Stop using the word addiction. Why? Because it's wrong. It's wrong. Why? It's just that's not what an addiction is. Like, when you're talking about habit patterns and um, even a reliance, you're not necessarily talking about dependence and addiction. Because you're talking about someone who, in a high-stress situation, when, they, when their anxieties are brought, to the, to the, brought up, would perhaps, firstly, you started by eating two bits of chocolate, then eating the whole chocolate bar, and then you said a bottle of wine or two bottles of wine. It's a reaction to something that's going on in their life. It's not, it's not a Yeah, but that's not being in control. So the input has come in, the information comes in, the information to simplify it is you're not going to get your dream job in life and you will never be happy. That information comes in and instead of being in control of that information and saying anything from, oh, okay, maybe that's not what will make me happy, maybe I should change my goals, or, oh, maybe I do want that, but I won't rely on it for my happiness, but I still need to work on it and I won't let this minor setback get in the way. I'll just think of another way of getting that house or that job. Or whatever. That's instead of being in control of your thoughts, you're thinking everything's going to go wrong, and I may as well just eat and drink myself into oblivion right now and forget about it and start again tomorrow. You're saying that the book flow is helping us to not give in to those kind of drives, which Freud would have talked about as being the id, yes. which is the genetic programming. Although it's actually like the socialized. Um, language of the genetic programming, right? The internal drive and voice, the unconscious mind pushing us towards earthy, caveman-like reactions, but it's still controlled by different parts of the external world. The external preventing. world. So you've so, just got that perfectly, so I must have explained it really well. I'm really pleased with myself. Well, I'm glad it only took 20 minutes. So, so there's a quote for you. Uh, shall, I, shall I give you the next quote? Yeah. Should we do that all over again? Fuck it, let's do it. This time I'll listen more closely. The next one is, control over consciousness cannot be institutionalised. So in other words, um, with much knowledge, it's passed from generation to generation and you can just teach children in school the, um, the amassed knowledge that has been passed through the generations. The reason this, is, this, this ch- whole chapter... The subject of today's episode is called Happiness Revisited is because these ideas date back to Aristotle. People have known, and probably beyond, people have known for years that that you are never going to be happy if you just let outside sources control your impression of uh, the universe and your consciousness. So why, thousands of years later, have we not written a manual that we give to 14-year-olds at that sort of time when they're developing and they're not they're, they're still dependent on their parents and their teachers and their guardians and so on, but they, they've got a few years where they can learn this book that teaches them how to be happy in life, and then when they're 16, 18, 20, whatever, they leave home having learnt the manual and they are just happy for life. And why is the government not dissing out the perfect, neatly concise 
book of how to control your consciousness that everyone reads and everyone is happy and this isn't a problem because we've learnt it over the years since Aristotle talked about it. I, I completely agree. Why is the syllabus so heavy on things that we're never going to use? Like, why aren't they teaching all children yoga? Why aren't they teaching all children basic cognitive behavioural therapy? Why aren't they teaching all children decent cooking and healthy? Then you know they're not teaching us useful shit. But that's not what the book says. What does the book say? It, <laughs> it says it can't be institutionalised. Exactly. That's and what why, I said. I didn't, say think... I didn't say control over consciousness is not institutionalised and should be. The quote... Let me read you the quote again, and this time try to be a bit more in the moment. <laughs> I, I recognise that it said can't be institutional. I was answering a part of what you'd said before that. You were saying, why don't they? And I was agreeing by saying, well, why don't they also teach yoga? Why don't they teach CBT? Okay, but the... Which one of us wasn't listening, James? Probably me. So, so just one moment, the astute listener will probably have picked up which one of us hasn't been listening for the majority of the podcast, and which one of us at points, has drifted in and out due to something or other. Anyway, carry on, James. You got another quote for us, or you can go back through that one until you're proved right and you win? I'm going to go through that one at least four times because it worked last time, and at the end of four times, you got it perfectly, so that pattern of behaviour has been established. <laughs> Control over consciousness cannot be institutionalised. What they're saying is that every generation firstly has a different societal context. That's the big lofty idea that I presented at the beginning, that in our current society, with social media and, mm -hmm. with, all the, and with the political, geopolitical environment and the technology and everything that is with our culture at the moment, we are updating the ideas of this book that was written back in the early, late 80s, early 90s. And that will always apply. So what we're saying will be totally redundant for our grandchildren's generation because their life will be involving an awful lot of artificial intelligence, probably, in which case achieving flow in a world where artificial intelligence has a certain amount of control and influence on your consciousness requires certain adaptation of these ideas that we're not going to present right now. So you can't just write the book that everyone reads and learns at 14 and is happy for the rest of their life. But, and also you can't just tell people this is what you need to... That's why I said also at the beginning, we're not going to give 10 easy steps to achieving happiness and then ta-da! Because but, everyone needs to learn for the, to, to, to do it themselves. You, every single individual has to discover for themselves what this means, who they are, as an individual interpreting the, the universe, what that consciousness is relevant to themselves and to their societal context, which changes for every single generation. Okay, but you haven't won anything there because what? How then is IT taught? Information technology? Oh no, but computers changed. The computer. Oh no, they've updated the computer. Everything that's gone before is irrelevant. Quick, IT teachers jump off a cliff. <laughs> Like, it's irrelevant now. You can't, you can't possibly institutionalise computing because in the future there'll be a different computer. What, what's that a tosh? I'm sorry. Uh, yes, the, the individual understanding and pace at which someone would actually take hold of the ideas and use them is, you know, you can have a class of 80 psychology undergrads and there'll be about 10 people in the room actually apply the things to themselves as they're learning and go, oh... Oh, this is me. This is not subjects. When subjects were put under immense stress and subjects reacted in this way, 90% of subjects, and then like 89% like of the students in the room are going, oh, that's what people do. And then 10% of the students are going, that's what I do. That's what we do. But you, you don't just learn because someone tells you. But that doesn't mean you can't... Okay, you know, it seems almost, I don't know, like ridiculous to have a happiness class, doesn't it? <laughs> Doesn't it? Doesn't it seem? Why is that ridiculous, though? To have every school that has a happiness class, a class on how to be happy. We've got thousands of ideas, not just Michele Chitzen Michele's flow. Thousands of ideas about how to be happy. Buddhism has some of the most core concepts that all of this work will be based on. All life is suffering. We are continuously distressed. We are completely unable to control things. But we can control, one of was the phrase, the swirling currents of our mind. We can be the charioteer of our mind. 
This is just this is just standard. And if you're saying that it came from Aristotle, it came from before Aristotle. But the point being, you cannot institutionalize it. And you saying that it's because the syllabus would fucking change. <laughs> <laughs> and we can't change the syllabus. <laughs> so you lost that one, but you did win the one before because I eventually understood what you were talking about fourth time round. Ding ding, one point all. Isn't that a Wonderful feeling of karma. I just feel... No, but I just feel really content that we're getting into a debate and a discussion. And James, this was your idea. Flow was your... Well, not flow itself, but it was my idea to give you the book because I thought that you'd get it. It was your idea to podcast about the book. And I think this is going to make for a fantastic... Sorry, this is already making (laughs) for a fantastic season five of Private Practice Podcast. I feel like I want to wrap up here... I want to remind the reader, uh, listener of, well, hopefully soon to be read, remind the listener of the book's title and author and the cover, the uh, Michli Chitzen Michli. The spelling is is unbelievable. I believe he is Hungarian. Is that right? M I H A L Y Michli space C S I K S Z E N T M I H A L Y I Michali Chitzen Michali. One more time. No fucking way. <laughs> if you want to just because most podcast apps allow you to uh, skip back fifteen seconds, I do not want to sit through him saying all those letters again. Uh, the book's called Flow. What edition we're using? Uh, printed in 2002, the one that I'm reading. It's a white cover with a rainbow wave over a grey word flow. Really great book. Uh, and we're going to be looking at it over the next eight to ten episodes. We are looking at it right now and we'll be continuing to do so over the next eight to ten episodes. Um, thank you so much for bearing with us. I really hope you like some of the ideas and conversation we've been having about flow. And we will see you next time in Private Practice Podcast Studio. Well done, Dan. I think you did really well today. I think you did too, James. Thanks. (laughs) It's a wonderful story.